to Grab Them by the Pod with Kevin and Jesse, now a part of the Ace Podcast Network. Hey, Jess, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, we were going to start off by talking about John Ossoff. We talked about him a few weeks ago. This is the race in Georgia 6, where there are 18 candidates, 11 of them Republicans. John Ossoff is actually a Democrat. This was actually Tom Price's district before he became uh, the head of the HHS. We were going to talk about this because it's a big deal. This would be a Democrat winning in a Republican, a long-held Republican seat. The only problem is they're still counting the votes. Um, we mentioned back a few weeks ago that this is one of the situations where if a candidate gets more than 50% of the vote, they're in, they're congressmen. If they get less, then the top two vote getters go to a runoff. So it's a difference between a majority and a plurality. Exactly. And, you know, this is kind of one of the oddities of the electoral process in a democracy when you have this many candidates and it's not something we often see. But Ossoff needs to get that over 50 percent, you know, the 50 percent plus one to be an automatic into Congress. And otherwise, he faces the runoff where in a strongly Republican district, he he doesn't fare too well uh, in a one one on one against a Republican challenger. So if he's going to win, it's got to be tonight. And again, some background on Ossoff. He has a degree from Georgetown and the London School of Economics. He currently is the head of a company called Insight TWI, producing documentaries that expose corruption and crime. And he also is a former congressional staffer uh, for the likes of Georgia Congressman Hank Johnson and John Lewis. So he has some background in politics, despite Donald Trump's tweets earlier today uh, stating otherwise. Now, whether he wins it or not. I guess the good news for him is that first who's going to come in second place, uh, it's a woman, I, I think her last name is Handel, could be Handel if they want to get special, I should probably have looked into that. Out of anybody who could have come in second place of the close uh, contenders, she or he does the best against her. So even though it's not preferable to be in a in a runoff race and look, it would not look good for him, it's the, the best scenario that you could possibly could. So when we looked a few minutes ago, it's now about 10 o'clock on the East Coast. He was up literally 50.1%, which is the exact number he needs to win, that or more. So uh, we'll check in later on the show. Um, Trump has been all about this. And you know that if the Republicans win, it's all going to be because of Trump. And if the Democrats win then it's going to be because those Georgia Republicans just couldn't get their act together. This morning, he woke up and tweeted that Democrat John Ossoff would be a disaster for Congress, very weak on crime and illegal immigration, bad for jobs, and wants higher taxes. Say no. Uh, And then he urged Republicans to go out and and vote today. Ossoff will raise your taxes. He's bad on the Second Amendment. It's funny. He has all these things that he says about John Ossoff, but he's never held a political office before. So he doesn't necessarily have any firm stances on things. I mean, maybe these are just some of the campaign promises he made, although something tells me that John Ossoff did not say during the campaign, vote for me, I'm going to raise your taxes. Yeah, unlikely, you know, and that's always what's thrown out against Democrats. You know, it's the go-to for Republican challengers against a Democrat is that they'll raise your taxes based on previous Democrats in government. But obviously, when you're running for office, you're not touting that. And I, I strongly doubt that Ossoff did as well. So, Uh, You know, Trump's comments, I don't really know where they're coming from, what basis he has to be promoting those ideas. And it's funny that he again brings up the Second Amendment because that's the touchstone to get people all riled up. He's going to take away our guns. And I think there's a TV show 
with Kiefer Sullivan out there called Designated Survivor. And there's a plot line in there where they're trying to pass gun legislation. And he comes out and flat out says, talking to the people that nobody's trying to take your guns away. We just want to make sure that it's hard for people who are, for lack of a better term, crazy to get them. And to me, that seems like a very rational stance in real life as well as on TV. And whether you enjoy guns or you're not a gun person, I I don't understand why that would be a bad thing. But, you know, the Second Amendment is where you go at if you want to get people out to vote, I suppose. And you're right, Jesse, when we look no further than what has happened in recent days out in Cleveland, where uh, the gentleman Steve Stevens uh, killed somebody on live Facebook Live. This man, uh, Mr. Stevens, is a murderer who had access to a gun because he was a licensed gun holder in the state of Ohio. So maybe there does need to be something done about more reasonable uh, gun policies as far as who has access to those guns. It's funny. I, I didn't plan to talk about gun control. I, for the most part, have no real opinion. I guess I probably should because I'm not a gun person. I would end up shooting myself. But I'm not necessarily against people having guns. Either. I mean, that's, this is a debate for another time, I think. It, it's one of the rare instances where I don't necessarily have a strong feeling uh, one way or the other. Certainly, this is something that will probably come up again on another one of our episodes. But uh, moving on. Moving on. It's another episode, another week. So what does that bring us? More tweets by the president. And uh, I've been breaking them down by issue. They're not as necessarily scandalous as they've been in past years. But, you know, they're always worth covering. About Russia, he says, you know, everything will work out fine between the USA and Russia. By the way, I, I like that he always puts the periods in the U.S. or USA. I mean, Twitter, you only have so many spots. And he makes sure he puts those periods in there. Um, everything will work out fine between Russia and the USA. At the right time, everyone will come to their senses and there will be lasting peace. I mean, that's that's kind of a pipe dream, if you ask me. <laughs> we can only hope. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Trump and Putin are not Kennedy and Khrushchev. So if we're we're looking for some type of uh, Cuban Missile Crisis solution here, I don't know that we're going to get one of those. I'm not so sure about the level headedness of our current president. Trump seems to think that he and Putin are going to hold hands and go skip through a, a valley of flowers and it'll all be wonderful and, and Tinkerbell and Bambi will be going all over the place around them having fun. Here's the problem with Trump. You know, some people want to say that he changes his opinion and that's good, but he doesn't change his opinion. He just goes wherever the breeze seems to bring him. You know, if, if it's okay to be friends with Russia, well, then Russia's not so bad. Well, Russia's done something wrong in Syria. Okay, Russia has to do that. You know, he, he's tough selectively on Russia and that's we want some consistency with the president and we want someone who's not going to as you said go where the breeze takes him especially what is you know popular opinion i feel that president trump is so uh, desiring to be liked by the american people that he's going to go you know with political opportunism you know, whatever sounds good what he thinks the people want to hear what, what's going to make him uh more well liked as the president and sometimes the president has to make decisions that are not popular you know, not paying taxes ever again. That sounds fantastic, but it's also not economically feasible. Uh, I mean, that's an extreme example. But yeah, sometimes being the president isn't making the popular decision. It's making the right decision. And uh, Trump is somebody who he's like some kind of creature that gets larger and stronger. The more that people praise him, the more that people like him. And uh, that's the problem he's going to have as a president. It doesn't matter if people like you if you're doing the wrong thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you say about China? Well, what hasn't he said about China over the last four or five years? Recently, he's saying that, why would I call China a currency manipulator when they're working with us on the North Korea problem? We'll see what happens. First of all, I love the, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see what happens. No kidding. But he's been calling China a currency manipulator 
God, tweets over the past, I think back to 2013, but much like it was with Syria, suddenly he's in power and he sees how things actually work and he's singing a different tune. Right. Well, as of two weeks ago, okay, in an interview with the Financial Times on April 2nd, he called China the quote unquote world champions of currency manipulation. So this is, again, as we've said time and again, you know, these are things that are easily proven uh, that have been documented, things that he has said in the past that have been written down. Here we go again. Two weeks ago, he calls them currency manipulators. Now he changes his tune and he says to The Wall Street Journal that our dollar is getting too strong because people have so much confidence in him. When head of China, she came over here. He seemed to school Trump on the North Korea situation and a lot of issues. So maybe now that Trump is meeting with these people who have more experience and more knowledge on certain topics, maybe he's, he's deferring to them. I would like to think that he's deferring to the people who have more experience. But again, I think he's just going with uh, what makes him look good and what's easiest for him. Seems to be uh, the way for President Trump. In the middle of all these tweets, he did say Happy Easter. That's, that's I put that out in the rundown because, you know, it's, I guess it is nice, although it's odd to see him going on these diatribes and then going, oh, by the way, Happy Easter, everybody. No Happy Passover exactly. from, uh, I was just Jared Kushner and Ivanka? Come on, you know, uh, where's that Happy Passover? It's funny with having a, a daughter and a son-in-law who are Jewish, you'd think he'd, he'd put those things out there, but oh well. He's got other things on his mind, like the election. He had to tweet out right after that, I did what was an almost an impossible thing to do for a Republican easily won the Electoral College. Now tax returns are brought up again, question mark. Now I've had a lot of trouble actually reading that tweet. And I realize it's because he put Anne in there twice in, in the wrong place. But, you know, presidents can make mistakes, too. It's fine. The reason I bring that up is that he's boasting about his electoral win. And then in his next tweet says, someone should look into these rallies all over the United States and who paid for them. The election is over. So he wants to talk about the election when it's convenient for him, but then wants to shut up about the election because it's over when it's against him. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. When, when Trump looks strong because of – Things that happened in the election, of course, he's going to tout that. And you're right. It, it was it seemed to be a little bit more difficult for the Republican to win the Electoral College. But, you know, I would question that a little bit if you if you look at the circumstances. Right. Certainly the Democrats have an easier time uh, in the Northeast, on the West Coast, and that gets them a lot of electoral votes. But states like Texas and Florida traditionally go to the Republican uh, with a, a, a high uh, electoral vote count. And when you capitalize on the discontent in the Midwest, you've got an awful lot of Republicans there as well. And that's what carried Trump through to the day. So, you know, perhaps his his win wasn't as surprising when we look back at it as he claims. No, it, it wasn't actually. You know, we all got all hopped up on what we thought was going to happen and we didn't kind of see the forest for the trees. My, my main problem just is. You can't bring up the election when it's beneficial to you and then complain about other people bringing up the election when it's against you. No, it's either fair game or it's not. And this is the United States and we have freedom of speech, so it's always fair game. And then finally, you know, we should not be surprised by this. He hits the media again and says the fake media and then has to stay in parentheses, not the real media, as though we didn't get that from fake media, has gotten worse since the election. Every story is slanted. We have to hold them to the truth. Now, I agree. Every story is slanted against Trump, but it's because of he's he's bringing these stories on himself. They're still true. They're just against him because he's doing these crazy things and tweeting crazy things like this. At what point? Does the president realize that so many of the issues that he's facing right now, as far as the way he's perceived in the media, he's brought upon himself? It's never his fault. He'll never acknowledge that. 
Um, everybody's out to get him. Uh, he's perfect, blah, blah, blah. You know, as long as we have this podcast, as long as we do the Trump tweet section, we're going to be seeing things like this. And it shouldn't surprise us and it shouldn't upset us anymore, but sadly, it still does. I think it's going to take some time. We have 240 years worth of history of presidents who did not make a living tweeting. And now we're just getting accustomed to one who lives and dies by his Twitter account. Although the uh, King of Jordan is now on Twitter. I saw that today. So Well, so is the Pope. There's a lot of yeah. people on Twitter. I, I, I've tweeted the Pope several times. I've not heard back yet, but oh well. Uh, under the big story from the end of last week, uh, visitor logs, visitor logs, visitor logs. Last Friday, the Trump administration announced that they would end the Obama administration's policy of making, for the most part, uh, the vis- all of the visitor logs available about 90 to 120 days after the vis- visits occurred. Uh, Sean Spicer, of course, said, you know, Obama's White House would scrub the names of visitors they didn't want released. I mean, that was basically for personal visits or things that had to do with national security. Not a huge deal. Um, he basically, Trump's following the same policy that every administration from the beginning of time used, blah, 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 blah. Basically, he's ending something that's transparent. I mean, this is what they're known for in this administration. They take an Obama policy that is good but imperfect, and rather than fixing it, they just scrap it. They throw the baby out of the bathwater. Well, Sean Spicer claimed that, you know, the Obama administration's uh, having the visitor logs be produced was an attempt at transparency, an attempt in quotes that it wasn't real transparency. But I would argue that that's better than the screw transparency that the (laughs) Trump administration seems to promote. Right. And Obama only did this. President Obama did this after there was dozens of lawsuits against the previous president, George H. uh, George W. Bush. Excuse me. Uh, freedom of information lawsuits because they were not uh, forthcoming with who was coming to the White House. So Obama tried to throw the public a bone. Here, here's what's going on in the people's house, right in, in the, the White House. I mean, how much so, crap did he take for having people like Jay Z and Beyonce go to the White House? I was probably one of the people who was out there going, "Why the hell are they meeting with Obama?" But we knew they were there because of the visitor logs. Right. You know, according to uh, the Hills, Jonathan Easley. The Trump administration is said to be following the law of presidential of the Presidential Records Act and Federal Records Act. But, you know, I would rather and I I feel like I can sleep a little bit easier at night knowing what's going on there. And if certain names do get scrubbed from the records because of national security interests, that's okay with me, because I would rather have the protection knowing that our, our country is safer, that we're not giving away every card in our hand. But. You know, this goes back to the 1978 Presidential Records Act, which was an attempt to have the freedom of information and be put into the public record. You know, we were coming off of the Watergate scandal at that time where Lord knows what was happening in the White House and all kinds of information was being scrubbed or deleted. So we do need to know what's going on at the White House, because as taxpayers, we are the owners. We want to know that things are being done above board. For all we know, every day he's meeting with like Sergei Ilovilevich or something, some you know, Russian person, and reporting back to uh, to Putin yeah, again. That's hyperbole, but I'm a lobbyist and I get mad when uh, people bash lobbyists. But he talked to me about draining the swamp, and we want to know if he's really draining the swamp or if he's meeting with the same people that he complained about the entire time. It's like many things when it concerns Trump. It's about the hypocrisy of everything he does, and that gets people so upset. If he didn't say the things he said to get elected, I think people would cut him a break on a lot of the stuff. 
Right. It's classic politician here. And yet that's exactly what he campaigned against. He campaigned as the unpolitician. He was going to come in and make major change. And we're just not seeing that. So that was Friday. Then going into the weekend, as we quickly approach tax day, there were uh, protests all over the country. I think in about 200 cities is what I read. Um, with the main message for Trump to release his tax returns. Um, and some of the earlier tweets that we read uh, today, Trump called these small rallies. But the people who organized it said there were 100,000 people protesting. I don't know if that's accurate, because I think both sides tend to inflate or deflate the numbers uh, as it helps them. Wait but- a minute, wait a minute. Will Spicy produce more photos so we can compare crowd size? This was the smallest rally in this entire administration, period. Here's the here's the problem. Spicy, or our friend Sean Spicer, uh, says that Trump's tax returns, both old and new, are still under audit. And yeah, that's true. Presidents and VPs do automatically get audited. But it hasn't stopped its predecessors from releasing theirs. For the past 40 years, we've mentioned this previously, for the last 40 years, every single U.S. president and presidential candidate has released their tax documents. Somehow I think that Trump's going to be, quote unquote, under audit for the next 48 years. We make a lot of comparisons between Donald Trump and Richard Nixon. And here's another one, right? The whole process of the president releasing their tax returns dates back to Richard Nixon when in 1973 he was under audit over a controversy about his personal taxes. And he was open and forthcoming with his tax returns. And it actually led to his most famous, one of his most famous lines uh, ever, which was, you know, people have to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I am not a crook. I am not a crook. So if President Nixon could open up about his taxes with all of the controversy that surrounded him and the scandal that surrounded him, why isn't Donald Trump? Wasn't that the uh, speech where like, they questioned about something he was given as a gift and it was like a cat or something for his kids? Yes, it was. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the, oh, Nixie. You got spicy. We got Nixie. Uh, I don't know why anybody would be against Trump releasing this. If you're pro-Trump, this is your chance to be vindicated. Say, you know what? Everybody stop your whining, all you snowflakes on the left or whatever they'd say. Trump did nothing wrong. Here are his tax returns. If you're anti-Trump, this is time to get the truth. You know, I want to see what's really going on there. The only reason not to release them is to hide something. And, it, you know, I'm not saying there's a smoking gun that he gave $500,000 to Putin or something. But there could be something that just looks bad, and I think that's what he's afraid of. Well, and to take the words right out of disgraced former national security advisor Mike Flynn's mouth, if you seek immunity, you are guilty, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you're if you're not releasing the tax returns, then we should assume that they are guilty of something. You know, he whined about um, oh, President Obama and the birth certificate. Why isn't he showing it? Just show it. Blah, blah, blah. And Obama showed it and it shut him up. So why doesn't he just do the same thing with the tax returns? If you want people to stop to ask, asking, just show it. You called it before, Jess. It's all about the hypocrisy. Oh, hypocrisy, thy name is Trump. Uh, There were also additional uh, tax day protests in Berkeley. And I've mentioned before that I'm not a fan of the uh, UC University system. Whether you're conservative or liberal, I'm I'm in the middle, leaning to the left these days. But uh, I I think Berkeley is the center of of everything that's wrong with with liberalism run amok, I guess you could say. But uh, both sides, both liberal and conservative, were really having problems and really at fault, in my opinion, this weekend. On one side, you had the hard right, alt right, or even if you want to call them white supremacist protesters uh, coming out to rally for Trump. No good's going to come of them talking. You know, I, I, I wouldn't want to listen to them, and I understand why it upsets people. Then you had another group calling themselves Antifa, which I guess stands for anti-fascist. But these are basically young anarchists who are dressed up. They look like they're in the Taliban, with like the, the, the all in black with their faces covered. I mean, it looks, it looks relatively scary to me as too. 
And both sides were there looking for trouble, and both sides found it and ended up in violence and blood and kicking and punching. Right. Over 250 police officers from Berkeley, as well as some assistance called in from the city of Oakland, resulting in 21 arrests, 11 injuries, including one stabbing victim. So it was, as you said, it was protests run amok, certainly from both sides. And I'd hazard a guess that a good percentage of the people that were there probably didn't even know really what they were protesting and why they were there. That tends to be the case at any of these protests that turn to riots. You have these provocateurs that go there just to, to drum up trouble. Or straight out of the movie PCU, you know, they just protesting because that's what they, they want to do, something to complain about. And there's, there's a very famous picture and video out now of a guy punching a woman in the face, which is like, that's horrible, you know. This, and this guy is a shady guy. I can't recall his name right now, but he's had some problems in the past. But then they showed her... Facebook page, and she said she's looking to punch Nazis and going to bring back scalps. So she was, you know, maybe just joking, but she was inciting violence to it. I'm not saying one is on the same level as the other. You know, I don't want that to come into it. But I'm just saying that if you go there looking to pick a fight with somebody who is also itching for a fight, it's going to happen. Everybody I talked to, you know, I don't know. And I was visiting family this weekend. I was, I mean, my family's for Easter. I wasn't out there fighting, but I guess it's what they were put on this earth to do. Some of these people just go out there and protest. Well, one of the groups that actually showed up in Berkeley was a group known as the Oath Keepers, which oh. is a citizen militia that kind of formed uh, to protect. They were there to protect Donald Trump supporters who were protesting. And um, there was one gentleman, A.J. Algeria, 31 of Sacramento, who was there as part of this group to defend Trump supporters. And he said that these people, meaning these Antifa uh, liberal protesters, are here to create violence all the time. Somebody has to stand up to them. Okay, that's fine. However, on the flip side of that, Stuart Rhodes, who is the founder of the Oath Keepers, was also quoted in the LA Times from this event that he didn't mind hitting counter, counter demonstrators. And in fact, he would quite enjoy it. So if both sides are looking to perpetrate violence, where does that get you? That doesn't solve the problem. Eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Uh, the, the better option is just let them do whatever they were going to do, have nobody show up. There'd be no media coverage. Nobody would be talking about it. And you know, outside of the people who marched, no one would care. But I, I mean, I, I understand um, if you think these people are white supremacists. And I don't, wanna, I don't want people to say we're lumping in all Trump supporters with that. But there were a lot of people there with some shady backgrounds. But um, I understand it's hard to see those people come into your town, especially when you are literally the polar opposite of them uh, politically. But... Sometimes you just got to suck it up and say it's not worth getting in somebody's face and getting physical because uh, nobody's saying nobody in the unbiased media is saying, you know, the, the one side is wrong. One side is right. They're saying it was it looked like the L.A. riots. If you if you have to see those pictures right on the video. Sad state of affairs is all I can sad, say. Sad, sad. You'll, you'll never see me fighting anybody. I subscribe to the idea of he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day type thing. Uh, I don't want to be down there in the scrum. I'd be the first person punched in the face. It's a good way to be. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say I'm a coward, but, you know, I, I don't want to get punched in the face. That's just how it is. Uh, Trump's approval rating is a matter of debate this week. Trump was very excited yesterday when a new uh, Rasmussen poll came out and had him at 50% approval. He was pointing out, he said, look, at only half the people in the country hate me. Uh, he didn't say that, but that's basically uh, what I read when I saw that. But you have to look into Rasmussen poll. It's not really that respected anymore. 538, which around the election, put out a list of 
all the major polling uh, organizations and their in their ratings and how often they're correct. Uh, they rate Rasmussen as a C plus uh, on accuracy. They get their races or the races uh, correct about 79% of the time. But if you look at the other polls that are out there running around the same time, Gallup, Maris, um, YouGov, Gallup, which is rated a B minus. Has it 41-53 against Trump? Marist an A uh, has it 39-49 against Trump. YouGov 43-52. Uh, they had they were a B, so they're against Trump. And then CBS News an A minus 43-49 against Trump. So if you again, Trump is very big at selectively choosing which polls he looks at. The other ones are all fake if they don't like him. They'll say. But if you take all the polls and combine them, uh, he's still well below 50% for the approval rating. Well, hey, you know, 50%, that's nothing to, to laugh at. You know, Donald Trump should be excited. It's a good 10 to 15 uh, percentage point jump in most of the other polls. So, you know, congratulations. Good for you. But as you said, Rasmussen is, is kind of a, a, a biased polling organization. And as we know, Donald Trump only reads reports or, or news reports that are fake. Favorable to him, so he's not really getting a full picture. Yeah, their average error is 5.3 points, which makes sense. It would have him at about 45%. That's not totally out of line with some of the other ones. And it's what scares me though is that he's been doing all of these bombings and these war mongering things around the country recently. And if he says, you know what, if I drop a bomb and my polls go up, I'm just going to keep dropping bombs and find other places to fight. Now, I don't know if we're really there yet, but I just always assume the worst when it comes to President Trump. And maybe I should. Maybe that's not fair. But uh, that's first thing that I think of. Well, and, and you're not wrong because it's dangerous to have somebody that is as reactionary as Donald Trump having their finger on the trigger. And, you know, you bring up a good point I hadn't even thought of. But, you know, as these uh, polls come back and he comes off a little bit more favorable after some of those actions. Well, what's to stop him from saying, hey, I like being favored. I like people to like me. People seem to like me after I drop these bombs. Let's go at it again. Kind of got your Jack Handy. And gosh, darn it, I drop bombs and people like me. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see, unfortunately, to see where this goes next. Um, I can't imagine it's going to go much higher than 50 percent, even some of the uh, skewed polls. Um, but his son was actually at it this week, too, on Twitter. The Trumps, whether it's Donald Jr., Eric, um, or, or Don Sr., I mean, Ivanka, I think, is the most reserved. Um, they all love Twitter. And Don Jr. tweeted a picture of himself wearing this weird green shirt that says, very fake news. It says, I'm going to have to buy five to 10,000 of these to pass around to our buddies in the mainstream media. In the meantime, I'll model it for them. Ha, 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 ha. If you have to give it to 10,000 people, maybe the mainstream media... <laughs> Is, is the real media. I mean, uh, this is the guy who said that uh, Michael Cernovich should be getting the Pulitzer Prize, and he's now making fun of 10,000 mainstream media people who say his father's, an, for lack of a better term, an idiot. Well, I think that it's kind of, you know, it's dangerous to have somebody as connected to the president as Don Jr. is to be, uh, no, this is a publicity stunt once again. And, and it's done to incite conspiracy theorists. It's done to rally their troops, so to speak, to get people going, to get people spreading this false information and to get people to doubt the mainstream media that is honestly covering this White House, that is, is factually, you know, fact checking and backing up their stories with evidence and fact. And so it's dangerous to have something like this happen. And I had to love the internet jumped right on him, which you can't do anything like this anymore. You should know this. Again, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, the internet would just make fun of you. Um, they started photoshopping him into real events with him calling him fake. Um, people tweeted at him, that, you know, North Korea is threatening nuclear war. 43 million Americans live in poverty. Your dad's under FBI investigation. Cool shirt, though. 
or uh, or you know that shirt was made in China. Donnie Jr. announces plans to buy 5,000 to 10,000 buddies. No one's surprised. So these are the things that, that backfire when you start sending these ridiculous photos out there. But he's been on the moon. He's been on the moon. He was. I saw him in the boat when uh, jo- when George Washington was crossing the river. Uh, he, he gets around, and then he has that sad picture from a few weeks ago with him sitting on a stump when he was a man's man out in the woods, and they, they went, to, went to hell on that one too for him. You know, he should just stop tweeting out photos because it's not working out well for him. Uh, one of the last things I want to talk about uh, this episode is uh, Mike Pompeo uh, and WikiLeaks. So last week, former congressman, and he's the current CIA director, stated – It's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is, a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia. Um, He also called Julian Assange a narcissist and a fraud. And it's really weird because prior to this election, he praised WikiLeaks and said he loved them, thought they were great. Again, just one more example of when you're actually in the government and you're in the intelligence community, you realize just saying these stupid things don't fly anymore. Right. According to an NPR report by Richard Gonzalez, Last month, WikiLeaks released thousands of documents related to CIA software that makes it possible to break into smartphones, computers, and mm-hmm. smart TV. So as you said, you know, once you're on the inside and you're getting this information and WikiLeaks has done something that might make your job a little harder, you're going to come down on them. Yeah, no, no real surprise there. I mean, of course, this upset Assange and the alt-right. And Assange had this long diatribe complaint of the CIA is trying to subvert his First Amendment rights. Well, guess what? He's not American, and he doesn't live in America. He's actually an accused rapist who's hiding out in London's Ecuadorian embassy. So I don't know if our First Amendment uh, rights necessarily uh, cover him. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Well, right, and he's dating Pam Anderson, too. Does he get conjugal visits in that Ecuadorian embassy? How does that work? I don't, I don't even know the whole – I mean, I've read the history about this, but what's up with Ecuador, man? Give this guy back. He's a scumbag. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things that – he may have possibly had good intentions or done some good things to begin with, but now they're just, you know, I, would, I was going to say partisan hacks, but they're just, I guess, nationalist hacks for certain countries. Yeah, you know, Ecuador is just looking for its 15 minutes of fame, I guess. But, you know, I think it's important to point out that there are limits to the First Amendment, certainly for someone who's not an American citizen, but in general, even in this country, there are, there are limits to the First Amendment, right? You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't do anything that's going to incite violence, that's going to endanger somebody else. My First Amendment rights stop where your First Amendment rights begin, okay? Where you, I can't assault you or, or threaten you with my language. And, you know, in 1917, the Espionage Act was passed as the United States was heading towards World War One, and it's created this great debate over national security versus people's free speech and people's right to know. While there is a demand for information, while people do have the right to know what's going on, there are certain things that are so critical to our national security that they don't need to be put out into the public. And it's amazing if you look at how Trump handles things and how Assange handles things. It's very similar. Trump puts out these insane claims out into the world and says, you know, I don't know, I just read it someplace. And Assange goes, you know, I, I didn't break into the DNC, but I, I just put the stuff out there. It's not my fault. I'm, I don't shoot the messenger. And um, it becomes very suspect when the messenger is only sending out things that affect a certain area, a certain party. He's trying to make himself act like he's a martyr and he's anything but. He's – I don't want to get hacked right now, but I would say he's a scumbag. Yeah, he's um, persona non grata in the United States, put it that way. By the way, if we don't have another podcast after this because my computer got hacked and I need to go buy a new computer. So uh, sorry. Sorry, Julian. 
<laughs> All right, we've come to the end of the podcast. Let me go check on Twitter here now and see how things are going with John uh, Ossoff. Why don't, why don't you vamp for a second there, Kevin? Give, a, give, us, give us Kevin's corner while I look it up. You got it, Jess. So we mentioned tonight the violent protests that took place this week in Berkeley, California. And violence is not the solution to the ills of this country. We want diplomacy at the international level. We want to avoid war and look for peaceful solutions. We also must temper ourselves at home when dealing with our opposition. We must remember that as Americans, we are not enemies despite our ideological differences. We're simply the loyal opposition who differ in how we feel the country should be run. Agreeing to come to the middle is the true America first policy. How nice. And as always, I feel warm and fuzzy after talking to you. So I'm looking up here and uh, all of Cobb County is in. That's one of the important counties that wasn't necessarily strong for Osage, uh, Ossoff. Uh, it's all in. And he's currently at 50.3% of the vote. So um, while we're not going to be able to give you the answer by the end of this podcast, I really apologize. It's going to be a nail biter. He's going to either just barely lose or just barely win. I mean, in the end, he's going to be in the runoff regardless. Uh, but I know Ossoff and the Democrats were really hoping they just end it here and move on. So, uh, you know, follow our Twitter. We'll let you know uh, what the what the outcome is. Or you can follow Twitter yourself. I'm sure by the time you listen to us, you'll know who won. Either way, this is this is a, some, a place that that Trump won, that Tom Price won by, by 23 points. Romney won by a good amount. So the fact that it's this close and the fact that Kansas was so close last week, um, it shows that there is a, a tide coming. I, I think people online were saying it's going to be a tide, a tide, a tidal wave, an earthquake. What's going to be the natural disaster they use to describe this? But whatever it is, it means that people aren't necessarily a fan of what's happening in this country right now. It'll be interesting to see if that carries on through to 2018. The times, they are a-changing. Indeed they are. Indeed they are. Well, it's been a pleasure to do another wonderful podcast with you, Kevin. Uh, As always. You had a great time, too. Our fans, we love you guys. As always, go to our website at www.grabthembythepod.com. You'll find the links to all of our social media and the links to all of our iTunes, Stitcher, all that fun stuff there. We hope you follow us everywhere. We hope you listen to us. And we hope to see you back next episode. Thanks so much, guys. Later. 